So Ted, thanks very much for giving up some Happy time to today. It's fabulous to be in Singapore, finally to get you on your home turf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So why don't you introduce yourself, tell us what you do. So Evercom, we are an energy management company. We use IoT to collect sensor data from all these big factories, petrochemical, semiconductor, oil and gas. And then from all the data that we collect from all these different types of processing equipment, we help them figure out how they can save energy and then move towards more green and renewable. But surely in a factory, they're already <laughs> energy efficient. I mean, they've optimized their processes. Everything's nailed down. I mean, it, it's got to be efficient already. Um, unfortunately, that's not the case, man. Um, they got it down to where they can maximize the output, right, throughput. But from an energy standpoint, it's barely starting. People don't really care about energy consumption. They just want to make sure that it's always ready for maximum output rather than maximum output with the most efficient usage of energy. Okay. I wouldn't have thought, though, that we'd come to Singapore to find a company that's a specialist in optimizing manufacturing efficiency. I mean, is, is this the hub of manufacturing efficiency in the world? or um, In Southeast Asia, in the, in the Asia-Pacific region, I would say Singapore, from a using technology perspective, using AI to apply in this kind of um, environment, is definitely one of the leading ones. So if you look at all the clean tech companies, the emerging 25 clean tech companies year on year, Singapore, although it's a small dot, you can see on average about six to seven companies coming out. The first place is China, which is about seven to eight companies. But Singapore being a startup, uh, it being a small city, but still can generate six to seven companies matching to China and India. I think that's quite impressive. Now, you're one of the unreasonable fellows as well. That's where we met. Yeah. Uh, I also happen to think that you're one of the youngest unreasonable fellows. Almost. Johannes. Oh, I yes. Okay. So yeah, he's two years younger than me. Yes. So how did you get started in all this? How did it happen? I got very lucky. I studied power, electronics, renewable energy in NTU, um, which is a, a university in Singapore. Um, and when I graduated, that's when Singapore first introduced the whole startup ecosystem. People forget about just five years ago, there's no startup ecosystem in this region at all. Right? Singapore started it five years ago, and I was just very lucky to be on that train. So when I first graduated, I have an option to get to work for Siemens, Schneiders, or I get half a million dollars from Singapore government and do something I wanted to do. So Didn't you take the half a million dollars and go and sit on a beach somewhere? Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, um, their compliance is quite stringent. But, but yeah, I, I took that money and then and that's how I get started. It. So that's, that's their initial idea, is it? That they find people who want to start businesses in the right space, they give them a little bit of money, and that's enough to what, hire a couple of people and get an office somewhere? And get the prototype working. Office, all these, you get it from the university for free. So the half a million is really for you to hire people and build your prototype and et cetera. That's fantastic. Yes, yes. And then they're still pushing that even today. And that's just in the renewable space, in the clean tech space? Any startup. Any startup. As long as they categorize under deep tech. As long as you're not doing like a trading platform, as long as there's some components of, of technology that takes some time to develop, they were willing to, to invest. Do they own part of your company now? Zero. Though? So they give you money for free with no strings attached? Zero string attached. And how they evaluate the output is just how much job you create, how much impact you create, and all that kind of stuff. Wow. Yeah, and then when I expand to overseas, they also give me money to expand. It sounds too good to be true. It, what, it, what's it the catch? True. There's no catch. You've got to be a Singapore company. Okay. Right, right. And then, um, but um, the definition of a Singapore company, they also make it very loose. So as long as it's 30% local share home, it's considered a Singapore company already. Okay, so the government's given you some money. You've started your company. That was a way back now, wasn't mm, it? Yeah, yeah. And you built your first prototype. Then you went out and found a, a few more customers. Mm. What have you found with some of those customers? What sort of savings have you managed to achieve for them? Anywhere, without just changing equipment, just purely tuning a few processes, changing the temperature settings, 
anywhere between 5 to 10%. You can easily just shut it off for them. And I'm talking about manufacturing plants. So their electricity bills can be in the millions every month. Right, just by fine-tuning these processes, parameters, you can easily shut it off these, these savings. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And then, because a lot of these manufacturing sites we're talking about, um, concurrently 300 parameters with many combinations, which humans just cannot keep track. So what they do is they just make sure, okay, if I want to do a manufacturing process, I make sure it's always cold, always hot, even though I'm not doing so. Whenever I need to manufacture, I'm ready. But that's not the way you should, you should, you should function. You know? So that's how we help them fine-tune these processes. And those companies that have done that initial measurement, is that the end of their project or do they want to do more with their energy saving? So a lot of the project we do, we do their headquarter first and then now we scale it to their factories all over the world. So they want to be able to centralize, manage all their energy consumptions from a holistic perspective. Because a lot of our clients, our investors, they have 69 factories around the world. Right. Right? So they want to be able to centralize, manage. Hotel chain, we also get into, they have 40 hotel chains around the world. So you just imagine all these can be centralized managing Singapore or wherever their headquarters might be. Right, that would be very much beneficial to them. So there's been a lot of talk since October 2018 about becoming net zero and how the United Nations is pushing people to be net zero. So your clients, do you think they're aware that this is what's happening? Are they making their own promises to be net zero? Most of our clients are now taking this very seriously. Like, I can say that even just three years ago, the whole sustainability is still like a CSR marketing initiative. But especially in the past two years, uh, most of the customer of ours takes it very, very seriously now. And then they literally have their CEO coming out and then say that they're committed to achieve at least half by 2020, 2030, which was really not done before. But not a net zero. They're saying 50% reduction. Yes, not a net zero yet. But at least they're now making a commitment. And if you look at Singapore Stock Exchange, uh, just I think three to four years ago, they made it as a mandatory process that all the publicity company has to submit sustainability reporting. So you can imagine next they will probably start enforcing it, mm -hmm. right, the target that you achieve. But you can really see the movement in the past three years. We're really trending towards finally the, the right direction. So does that give you hope that we're actually going to address climate change? I think we still have a lot of things to, to, to work on. Um, definitely to be hopeful, but I think there's a lot of work to be done also. So if you had to pick three things that somebody was going to do to address climate change, a company, mm. what were those three things that you think they should do? Um, definitely their energy consumption in general, their transportation, obviously. And the last part is actually measuring how can they get their end customer to be more engaged in the process. Right? That is something that, that we don't see. You know, We started to see airlines. If you want to buy an air ticket, you started to be able to see how much carbon that, that they produce. You, you can have a choice to offset that from a consumer perspective. So more and more organizations now not just make it better, but they need to start engaging their customer and open that choices up for the customer. And within your team that you've built now, how do they see the future? Do they think that we're heading towards a net zero future and it's all going to be all right? Or are they building bunkers in the hills somewhere and think that it's all going to go to hell in a handbasket? No, man. My, my teams, um, we, our teams are from a diverse background, so all of them are very much passionate in their own countries. So um, my, one of my co-founders, Valen, he's from India. All he's trying to figure out now is how can he get back to India, expand it into India, and then really try to make India make the 2030 goal. For me, it's Singapore, obviously, and, and Taiwan. And I have other founders who are Myanmar. Right, he really wants to be able to, once we perfected this, he wants to go back to Myanmar, expand to Myanmar, and help Myanmar achieve their 2030 goal. So for all of us, we're just trying to figure out how we can do this together here and then influence or help our countries um, from that perspective. But the big local beast is obviously China. Yes. And are there companies doing what you do in China now? 
Um, when I last been there, it's a bit still very siloed. You know, t if you really want to achieve net zero, you really need to have the view of a holistic perspective. That comes with experience, that comes with exposure. If you are just from a manufacturing plant and you try to achieve net zero, the solution you come up with will be very expensive, very siloed, and, and take forever to implement. So that is some of the things that you can see China companies started to open up exposures, but it's still a while for them to figure out how to do it much more quickly, because we don't have time, 10 years only. And in Singaporean society, is it seen as a, a big thing at the moment? I, I noticed when we had out earlier, we had single-use plastic. Yep. There's still straws everywhere. There's still people using paper towels for things. I mean, it, it, is it really caught on the same way as in Europe? Singapore does it in a w uh, definitely not like Europe, but Singapore does it in a way, all these ways they're right now, at least they're centralized managed, right? So for them, it's always every ways you can trust, but it's all centralized manage and then from the actually just four weeks ago from the energy forum the 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 minister already say energy is going to be the most important thing they will focus on because energy will ensure them to have a sustainable production of things a sustainable water a sustainable food so they're really pushing the sustainability uh, card very hard now for Singapore so come back to your core customer base let's imagine that I run a factory mm -hmm. which I do but let's imagine I run a factory yeah. and I'm using lots of energy yeah. what would your steps be in recommendations for what I could do? The first step is, are you digitized, right? Are you still manually go recording all these I've stuff? I've got some really good people, <laughs> and they're really good at writing things down. And then they upload it to the cloud, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, but no, we, we don't have digital data collection. So for the key information, it has to be digitized. Human just cannot write it down the way that, you know, every, so a lot of the places we go is every minute you get data now. Right, and then you have to use algorithm to process rather than getting domain expert to look at Excel sheet every time. So you got to get that out of the way. And you can get it done really cheaply also. It's not an expensive process. Once you get it digitized, the next thing is how can you start to create, we call it fault libraries and signatures databases of all how everything is performing. Right, so you can really get a holistic understanding every minute, every second how your plant is using energy. And from then, then you can start identifying which is my low hanging fruit and which is what I need to do next. Right, but data is really the foundation for any factories. So data really is the key thing it's to the, all of it. And it's the problem. And bringing that together and then analyzing it. Yeah. To be able to manage data infrastructure is really what these factories are struggling. You can have 100 sensors, but a lot of them are reporting faulty data also. You need to be able to pick that up. But you're able to deploy Internet of Things sensors now, so that's a lot cheaper to collect the data. Yes, and just for the starters, these are wireless. You just imagine you have to deploy a thousand sensors in a factory where they all have to be wirelessly connected. That would be too expensive already. Well, it sounds fabulous. Ted, thanks so much. I'm sure we've all learned something from this. Thank you very much. Happy to be Cheers. here. Cheers.